0: What's going on?
1: We don't know, bro.
0: By the way, Lana Condor condors in this movie is Jubilee. It doesn't come up, it doesn't matter, so we're not probably not going to talk about it again, but I just wanted to say that. This is the 13 days of X-Men. Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men, Monkey Off My Backlog's second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is the mystique to my Magneto. I guess we've come all the way around on that one since last time. Joining us once again today is Lazi. Hello.
2: Hello. Um, my my uh, mutant name is not fit for you humans to utter, so we'll just go with Lossie, you know.
0: That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Oh man, this movie's bad. Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're racing the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. Whose idea was that? That was mine. (laughs) Oh yeah. That was my idea. Okay. Today, we're talking about, not that movie, I wish we were, X-Men Apocalypse, the movie that is a movie for some reason. I got it.
1: This movie is an origin story for things that nobody wanted an origin story for.
0: So Laza, you're back with us. You're the, you're the, 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 you were the chosen repeat guest for this (laughs) series. That That is an honor that may mean more to you than this movie does. It's hard to say. I know that last time we talked about what you're looking forward to, the holiday season, a bit. And I know we talked about Perhaps one movie, one holiday movie. But I asked Tessa. I said, "Did we did we ask you for a quick ranking of best holiday movies?" And she said, "We didn't. Did we do that?" No, I don't think so. All right, go. Uh,
2: <laughs> top five, okay. top
0: three, whatever you got.
2: I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. I wasn't expecting, and therefore I have prepared no answer for. So I'm just going to uh, waffle quickly until I get some thoughts through my brain about what I'm going to choose. Okay. If you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have probably picked Love Actually, and that is a bad choice. Every time I rewatch Love Actually, it goes down in my rankings.
0: <laughs> right, I remember that. I remember your opinion on that. It's very interesting.
2: So, I will just say that the best thing to watch at Christmas is Lord of the Rings extended edition. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the second best thing to watch is The Holiday.
0: The Holiday. Here, I'm just gonna give Tessa the mic and let you guys talk about the holiday for a minute.
2: Okay.
1: What is your favorite part of the holiday?
2: And Jude Law is daddy. Yeah. 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 Jude Law is it, daddy.
1: Exactly, right? <laughs> like I don't Yeah, that and like Jack Black being goofy on a piano in a and in a video store.
2: Yeah, I didn't I don't particularly care for Jack Black's uh scatting uh in that thing. That is <laughs> but, fair. But, that is but, fair. Um, yeah, um, no, uh, do Laurie's Daddy. That's that's really all we need.
1: No, I, I understand. I completely understand. No, I love that movie, and I feel like every time I watch it, I have the opposite of your love actually problem, where every time I watch The Holiday, I fall more in love with that movie, and yeah. I just want to watch it all the time. I think that's fair. That and Kate Winslet's scarf game is pretty It's mm-hmm. pretty on point.
2: God, to respect a scarf, a good scarf game.
0: This has been... A minute about the holiday with Tessa and Lizzie.
2: <laughs> I mean, if you think that we're trying to put off talking about X-Men Apocalypse, you might be right.
0: Well, let's get right to it. So the film starts with a prologue that I would like to call either Assassin's Creed Apocalypse or X-Men Origins, which would be weird because we kind of already had a movie called that sort of that is amazingly better than this one.
2: I just, I remember what, I watched the, the opening and I just went, you know what's fun? Stargate. Stargate is a fun movie. <sighs> I'm just waiting for you to start drinking. <laughs> <You're>
1: <laughs> start, yeah. I, I Anytime you have to go, and I know that this is part of the Apocalypse origin story, and like, I don't know if they... Anytime you have to have an origin story where you go back to ancient Egypt for your in your superhero, like, it didn't work in Legends of Tomorrow, which is otherwise a fantastic show. It does not work here. Like, we don't know how to talk about ancient Egypt in pop culture. I, I'm, like, very much convinced of that fact.
2: I mean, I, I agree with you, your general principle. But equally, this is just a bad attempt at doing it as well. No one really says anything. There's some guards who are... Gesturing by gripping their spears in different ways, and unfortunately not a euphemism. Got like you've just got the four horsemen theoretically, but they've got no obvious personality, and they don't actually set up the story of who apocalypse is very well, other than he's a big he's a pharaoh basically.
1: He's a big dude. He's a big dude, and we we do get to see. In fact, it's funny because later while we were watching this movie, Sam actually paused it and turned to me and said are we sure that it's Oscar Isaac under all of that prosthetic? Like, are you sure? And I said, we actually do see him once in this movie without the prosthetic. And it's at the very beginning, but it's almost impossible to tell that it's him because they've like shaved his head and they don't like do any kind of like close up on his face or anything. He's just sort of there.
2: I have a note here that just says, Oh, Oscar. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, we don't get any internal mo- I'm I'm sure we'll talk so much about how they messed up Apocalypse in this movie, yeah. but they don't give any kind of usually when you give an origin flashback like this, you give some sort of like internal conflict, internal motivation, something motivation. to tell us, yeah, something to tell us who this person is and why they're doing what they're doing. We don't get that at all here. We don't. We barely. We barely know who he is from this. Like, and that, that is yeah. common
2: with every other character that they introduce in this film. None of them are you explain Do you, do you are you told who they are? None of you, them are you told what they want or why they want it. And Apocalypse is the easiest one of these to do. He wants survival of the fittest. It is his it's, it's his his constant always motivation. Is really quick and easy to do, and they sort of get to it. Slightly at the end, but never really, never clearly in, you know, motivation, character.
0: It feels like somebody on the production end made a note that said, this is the sixth movie in this franchise proper. If you don't know what these characters' motivations are by now, that's really your problem. And then so nobody told them, yeah, but this is a new character. <laughs> so perhaps... Another alternate title for this movie is X-Men Apocalypse Apocalypse Now.
2: Uh, Maybe there's a comma in there. I don't know. I think you're um, giving the people giving notes to this movie too much credit.
1: Yeah. It's quite possible. Sam, did you know that that was Apocalypse's internal motivation for the things that he does in this movie at any point during this movie since you haven't read the comics?
0: Okay, first of all, you know, the thing about Fox, you know, who we just added with, with, Lassie just added with that comment. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, Fox was a big company, and they kind of lost everything to Disney. And, you know, I don't like monopolies as much as the next person who's not controlling that monopoly. But, you know, survival of the fittest, man. Speaking of survival of the fittest, I mean it's actually i to me it's not that hard to figure out it's 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 he his thing is he transfers to a next person and you don't just do that for funsies, right I mean the whole thing with with Professor X is like that's a nice little side benefit right is that he'll get his power, but i I did get the idea that he has to transfer to another body or he dies. I did get that
2: yeah, I mean he so that's reasonably comics appropriate uh at least certainly early uh, apocalypse in that he try he does try and transfer bodies and he tries to create or wants to create the perfect uh host to uh, transfer into and in fact in the original comics original ish comics the mutant he most wants to transfer into is cable is um, is uh scott and not jeans uh, child, but I'm not going to explain why she, why he's not Jean's child in this podcast.
1: <laughs> I actually thought about that, and I was like, "This is going to be too difficult. It's going to be too <clears throat> difficult to explain who Madeline Pryor is and why they have a child and how Apocalypse got a hold of him. Like, it's too hard."
2: Okay, so you got what you need to understand is that. Jean Grey died at the end of Dark Phoenix after committing a genocide. Didn't happen uh, in uh, these films, but did happen in the comics. She was sort of resurrected, except as a clone, except sort of not, partially part of her soul, as someone who looked identical. Scott Scott married her, uh, uh, Madeline Pryor. Um, they had a child together. Uh, Jean Grey then came back from the dead, and Scott then um, went <laughs> left his wife and child to go back and spend time with Jean. And then uh, the baby uh, got infected by a techno-organic virus, sent into the future where he was a a messiah to uh, fight Apocalypse. Is that clear?
0: Okay, listen. (laughs) This movie was 130-some-odd minutes long. You probably could have done that. I mean, I'm not saying it would be good. I'm not saying it would be good. But I know Singer and Friend's approach to making these movies And, I mean, if they're going to jam a bunch of useless stuff into this movie to justify a nearly 2.15 runtime, they might as well do a terrible version of the actual story in that amount of time. I'd be okay with that.
1: Although it somehow would have made Cyclops come off as an even worse person than he does in this movie. Like, that story, like, every single time I think about it, I'm like, yeah, Gene should have dumped you. Like, every single time.
0: I feel
2: that way now. I mean, that's, (laughs) like... The, the resulting uh, effect of this was that Madeleine Pryor turned into the Goblin Queen and uh, invaded New York with demons. So, yep. I mean, wh- what do you want? It's a great story.
0: <laughs> I also read about the Age of Apocalypse that, now correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, Wikipedia is never wrong or misleading. So, but it, I, I believe in the comics, is this true, that, that, that Peter Parker, the Peter Parker who never becomes Spider-Man dies along with seventeen, at least 17 other Marvel heroes, but the Gwen Stacy in this one doesn't die, and it's like another Earth. It's one of the multiverse Earths. Any of that, right?
2: Some of... uh, (laughs) Sort of. Age of Apocalypse is an alternative reality where Professor Xavier died trying to save Magneto from a bullet shot by his son, Legion, uh, who went back in time to try and kill Magneto, but failed and shot his father instead. That caused Apocalypse to become aware of mutants earlier. Rise, Scott, and his brother Havoc, who uh, goes out like a chump in this movie, are, uh, are then uh, his, some of his sentinels working for uh, both Mr. Sinister, also Dark Beast, who's an evil version of Hank McCoy.
0: So Kelsey Grammer again.
2: Yeah, so Celtic Grammar, exactly, the literal uh, interpretation of Celtic Grammar, and then you've got a couple of other things as well, and it's very traumatic, and uh, it, when it happened in the comics, people thought they actually changed the whole world, and this oh. was the new status quo, uh, for about like four or five months, I think, and then um, they reverted back to uh, to normal. Tessa, you
0: mentioned Legion during the movie, could you, you remember? Oh.
1: We'll we'll talk about that more because it has more to do with a specific <laughs> that was a scene. Great segue. No, it's a specific scene in the movie where I was like, okay, I'll just say it. There is a telepathic fight in this movie, and I was just like, why is this the most boring telepathic fight mm-hmm. of all time? Why can't the, Why can't we have a dance off like we got in Legion? Like no, that why? It. That is literally what it was. No, I said. Yeah. <laughs> no, no,
0: that's not right. What you said was you made a reference to Legion when you were talking about Storm, and Professor oh, X. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I said I was talking about the story. I don't remember which comic it is because it's been so long. But the story where Professor X meets Storm, and she's like the the street kid in Cairo, and she's like running this gang of like children thieves. But like the real head of the gang is this Fagin-esque type character who is the Shadow King. We find out later, and like it's that confrontation between him and Professor X that. Causes the whole storyline in the in the show legion to right happen, so yeah, the thank you for you actually did remember that that was hey. that was good <laughs> I was just gonna say like I'm sure again, we'll talk about apocalypse some more, but like for me
0: you did say the dance off thing though. the dance off you thing is important
1: yeah uh I mean if you're gonna have to do telepathic fights and you can do anything in a yeah. telepathic fight, why not make it?
0: Something cool. But but keep going. It's Oscar Isaac, so say the thing.
1: Well, no. I was going to say that... Oh, yeah. So if you're going to do a dance-off, though... I mean, it's Oscar Isaac. He has to do the dance from Ex Machina. Like, come on. Like, he's got to do the little dance from, from Ex Machina. And yeah, yeah so... I'm into it.
0: That is my central role on this podcast, to remind you of the comedy goal that you've said off mic and to get you to say it again. And predictably, <laughs> half of the time, you're like, no, I don't want to say...
2: Oh, that. I thought your central role was just to remind us all about the film Ex Machina, a film which is far superior to this one.
0: It is true. It is true. Although, I do miss Alex Garland, novelist. I will say that.
2: Have you seen Devs?
0: No, we we didn't get to it uh, there, among the many things that we didn't get to.
2: I heard it was good, though. I really liked it, and as a sort of a, a, a companion piece to... Uh... Ex Machina, I think it's um, it's really enjoyable. I'm like, uh, it, yeah, it's very good. Anyway, this film.
0: <laughs> this has been an Alex Garland appreciation podcast. By the way, I, I just don't, my favorite thing by him is still The Beach to this day.
2: The novel. <laughs> my favorite thing is yes. the, the song by All Saints that accompanies the film The Beach. Uh, Leo, Leo
0: DiCaprio is in it. I don't think it's a bad, I don't think it's as bad as everybody said. Anyway, okay, so, yeah, right? Better than this one. So, but not as good as X Machina. Now, okay, so really, we are doing an episode about X-Men Apocalypse. (laughs) And and here's the thing. Like, we've done several podcasts within podcast, which is our, which is totally our (laughs) idiom. It's fine. What we have never done that we're going to do for the first time today, this is a first for us. We are going to do an entire mini-podcast series within a podcast. That's right. This is a limited three-episode podcast within a podcast series. The series is called Today in Recasts. On the first episode of Today in Recasts, after the prologue of this movie, we come upon Mystique. There are other things that happen, but I want to start with Mystique, who is going to rescue a young nightcrawler, no longer played by Alan Cumming, instead by Cody Smith McPhee. How did both of you feel about this recast?
2: I think that the Michael Jackson thriller uh, jacket he wears later is cool. That is the extent of my opinion. He's, (laughs) He's
1: fine. He's fine. I mean... If you're not going to make the story about Nightcrawler, you really only need a few things for him as a character. And he checked all those boxes. He was German. He was religious. He bamfed a lot.
2: Bam. Bam. Bam.
0: All right, fine. Since since we're we're very <laughs> in the tank to talk about this movie and nothing but this movie. Since you haven't been offensive. right, since you it's haven't fun. been with us for a few episodes, Lizzie, how do you feel about J Law as as Mystique?
2: She's not very good. I mean, <laughs> she's she's just not very good. Uh, I mean, she, I think she's an excellent actress. I've seen her in other things where I thought she was very good, but I don't know. I just I can see the logic behind going. She's the hottest star we've got at the moment uh, let's get her into x-men we've signed her to be a superhero how, how do we create the right character for her to play uh and then we can start centering the series around that she's just not great as mystique she has no mystique I mean, for one of us, <laughs> right. like she's she's a leading she's a lead actor and mystique is not a lead player i think and um and that, or has, has never, or has very rarely been in the comic. And so as a result, they struggle to, to sort of shoe her, shoehorn her into position where she can play that more central, more lead role. I think she's fine in first class. I think she's fine in days of future past. I think she's not great in this and, and she's abjectly terrible in, um, uh, Dark Phoenix. I don't think she really wanted to be doing this film anymore. I think, I don't think she, and I have sympathy with any actor who would have to go wear as many prosthetics as, uh, and as much makeup as they'd have to for this. But I don't know, like, just don't be in the film if you don't want to be in the film.
0: This has been the first episode of Today in Recasts. On the second episode of Today in Recasts, so we have Apocalypse himself. He squads up, right? And so, you know, we have, we have Eric, of course, you know. We'll talk more about him in a bit, but and and so we have three new faces, right? We have Alexander Ship as young Storm, we have Ben Hardy as young Angel, and we have as
2: Psylocke Olivia Munn. Thoughts? I mean, all of them. Why do they not get to speak? <laughs> <laughs> Fashion, that's why. It's
1: fashion. We have to talk about the fact that Apocalypse spends about 90% of his time on screen gathering his squad. And gathering his squad to him means designing them cool outfits to wear and cool new looks for them to have. And building like a cool architectural pyramid for the the last battle to sort of happen in, but it doesn't really happen in the pyramid. It happens sort of more in the town. Like, I get it. I get it, Apocalypse. You want to have a good vibe. Uh, all villains need, nice. like, good vibes for their for their plots and good their Bond henchmen. Villain. You gotta create that vibe. But most Bond villains know you have to create the vibe before the movie starts, not during the movie.
2: I mean, to, to repeat the earlier point. Who are these people and what do they want?
1: Exactly. Like, Psylocke is like a major player in a lot of the X-Men comics. And I have no idea why she suddenly seems super eager to be on Apocalypse's team. What she's doing with Caliban. Like, what's her whole deal in this? No idea. No clue. I mean,
2: the, the only thing they have to do is that Storm has to be the one who turns on Apocalypse first. Because we know Storm, because she's been in the previous movies and therefore she has to be the one who turns. Yeah, I, I have no problem with like making Psylocke, whether it's Tanon or Betsy. Let's not get into that. Psylocke is two different people, uh, Sam, just sorry to tell you that. Um, <laughs> but but she she's actually, at this point in comics, she, not now now, but during this film, she was um, a British aristocrat in the body of a, um, Japanese um, assassin, I believe, ninja. Not sure.
1: Yeah, Psylocke has had a problematic history in uh, yeah.
2: the comics as but, well. She has a very cool look, Jim Lee. Very good Jim Lee swimsuit. She was extremely prominent throughout the nineties and two thousands as a as a very a very senior sort of Marvel X Men character in the comics. Uh, but yeah, I don't mind her being like a Morlock sort of a Morlock here. Um, with Caliban, I don't mind. I actually quite like the guy playing Caliban. I think he got more lines than um, uh, than Angel and uh, Storm did combined. But yeah, I mean, why? Why? What do these people want? Just tell me. So statement
0: followed by a question. At the risk of sounding like John Mulaney, I like Olivia Munn. I, I think she has. <laughs> I, th- I I just think she does good stuff on camera. That's all I know her as. Like I don't. I, sorry, I told I'm Tessa sorry. I was that gonna go Maximum joke. John Mulaney on this episode, but I'm not That's feeling right. it yet. Maybe I'll find it.
2: Uh, I maybe because I'm a dad, but I really appreciated that. It was a good
0: <laughs> I forgot to put this in the notes, but you brought up Caliban, who's played by um uh Tomas uh Le Marquis, I guess, is maybe perhaps how one says his name. So who did it better, him or Stephen Merchant in Logan? Uh he did,
2: I think. Right. Um I don't know. I mean they're <laughs>
1: It's two different takes on the character. That's just
2: so different, yeah. They are so different. Um, Caliban's like linked to Apocalypse quite a bit in the comic. He's supposed to be a guy who can sense other mutants. In the comics, he gets he gets made into one of Apocalypse's horsemen and converted, and made into a big hulking guy. I think he's not very much like his personality is not very much like Caliban in the comics here, in that he doesn't abduct and try to marry Kitty Pride. Uh, which is a good thing, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I quite enjoyed him uh, as one of the few things I would say I enjoyed about this movie.
1: I don't know. I I did. I mean, again, like it's cool seeing Aurora Monroe actually have like a cool haircut. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't have anything against her, the actress. I don't have uh, Alexander Ship. I don't have anything against Olivia Munn. I don't even have anything against Ben Hardy, and he's clearly the weakest of the of the four because. His internal motivation seems to be, I want to wear a leather jacket and sit around listening to my cool punk music in East look, Germany. Look, look,
2: friend, like, calling me out. But...
1: <laughs> but yeah, like you said, who are these people? Yeah. I have no idea. Like, we're just supposed to, like, it seems like this movie was made by people who just want to shorthand their way into... Just having these characters on screen like, oh, you know, you've read the comics, right? And it's like, well, no, if you haven't, then you don't know who these people are. And if you have, you want more information. You want them to be actual, believable 3D characters.
0: Jubilee. By the way, I have a note. Occasionally on, on Monkey Off My Backlog, we just for free, because we're kind to people, we're generous, we care, we give free advice. To the people behind the movies and TV that we love so much, or so little in this case, Disney, some free advice. I know you probably talked, you probably had a lot of sessions about how to bring the X-Men in. It's really hard to know how far in advance you think with the MCU, but I'm sure, even though they're your direct competitors on Disney, you've probably seen Lana Condor uh, in her in her work, so her YA work, and 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 I think you know, I think you know that she brings some eyeballs to the screen. So hear me out. Just recast her as Jubilee and let her do stuff.
2: They should a hundred percent take everything that's good about the casting that they have and just port it over. A hundred percent. They should do it with Anya Taylor Joy. They should do it with Maisie Williams. They should do it with Lana Condor, who I don't know, but is fine as Jubilee. I go, no, and I don't keep get the get neon to aesthetic too. Uh, definitely. They should, they should absolutely just take what works and ignore what doesn't and just bring them in. They should definitely take Daphne Keen as uh, Laura Kinney, which I think I mentioned the last time as well. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. What about uh, people who don't work? Let's talk about the ones who don't. Because broadly in this film, I don't, I have very minimal criticism for the actors in this film because I don't think they're doing that bad a job. I just think they're given nothing to work with most of the time. And the ones who are given stuff to work with, are just this, it's just the same repetitions of the same story. This is the, the sixth film, and it's the sixth film about, uh, about Charles and Eric. And I'm like, why does it have to be Magneto? why magneto is never a horseman of apocalypse magneto would never work for apocalypse they have, they're different and competing philosophy he gets he gets a wife and child fridged in this he gets you know and he, he's just angry again it's just boring man
0: you guys are just doing a great job today of like i i have structured this episode around <laughs> bits to try to make it work and you guys are like no <laughs> no Here's no. Okay, before we talk about fridges and other appliances, which, by the way, I I think you're right, right? Tessa and I have talked about this. No Eric, no Charles, no Logan, and frankly, probably none of most of the people that we're going to talk about here in episode three of Today in Recasts. Alex brings Scott to the gang and introduces him to the gang. And, of course, we have... Yeah, of course we have, as Scott, we have Ty Sheridan, and the big name here, Sansa Stark herself, Sophie Turner, Miss
2: Jonas, as Jean Grey. Thoughts? Sophie Turner in the, la- the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones is fantastic. Sophie Turner as Jean Grey is not... Sorry, Sophie.
1: No, it's it's true. I think I'm more mad at Scott because again, they're just like, let's just reintroduce Scott again because we want to have havoc in this movie again. When we've se- we have literally seen Scott meet the X-Men three different times in this series. Oh,
2: because and- of Origins. I've,
1: I've, yes. I've wiped that out. I apologize. Yes. And, well, and here's the thing. I, I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later. There are literally storylines in this movie that I completely forgot about because they're so terrible. Like, I as the movie was going on, I'm like, oh, yeah. Are you ready for something even dumber to happen? Like, because, like... I
2: um, one, of my, one of my notes is, Alkali Lake, lol. I mean... Yeah.
1: <laughs> Seriously. But, yeah, I... I love Sophie Turner too. I think she's a fantastic actress. I really wish that she had been cast I mean, I want her to have a huge franchise. I do. But like I wish she would they would find a character that she could actually play yeah. in a huge franchise that would fit her a little bit better. This is not this is not great, especially because as you mentioned in the last episode we talked about last stand, you can't really do Dark Phoenix before you do the Phoenix and they're kind of doing the same thing yeah. where they're trying to skip ahead here. Because they keep implying, oh, well, there's something dangerous inside her. And, like, she's burning the walls during her nightmares and, you know, stuff like that.
0: Uh, Yeah. If you didn't know any better because of the work they're trying to, the shorthand work they're trying to do, you'd think there was something evil inside her just because, I don't know, she's a woman, I guess. But here's the thing. Here's a question I have. I mean, isn't that true? Andy's not here, but if he was, he'd say yes. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not that level of troll yet. But anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Game of Thrones, right? Because we've mentioned Sophie Turner, we've talked about Maisie Williams, just for fun. Are there any other Game of Thrones f- We've had Dinklage too?
2: Uh, yeah, so I guess yeah, we've yeah. had
0: three. Yeah. But if you could bring God help me if there's another one I haven't thought of. Um are there any other Game of Thrones actors you'd bring over to the X Men? And if so, who would you
2: cast them as? Excellent question. Love this question. So
1: I'm going to think about this. So
2: Amelia Clark is coming to the MCU. She's in Secret Invasion. I I'd be interested if they get her to play someone like Abigail Brand or or that that might be interesting.
0: Momoa's off the table. Right.
2: So, so but but she's or there. I mean the, the best actor in Game of Thrones is Lena Headey and she should 100% be brought over. And she can play any what she wants, as far as I'm <laughs>
1: Whatever she wants. She can have whatever she wants.
2: Although I'm now could also she play, like...
1: Could she play Emma Frost?
2: Yes, although I actually think Hannah Waddingham as Emma Frost would be really interesting. Nice.
1: I could yeah. see that. Who was also Game of Thrones, actually. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, there you go. She's the, yeah. she's
2: the shame nun, that's why, yeah. Wow, I'm telling you.
1: It could work. Free advice it. To... It could work. <laughs> I will say, too, though, before we move off of this particular set of casting, that Cyclops in this movie, I I just don't buy Cyclops in any of these movies as a character but he does the most Cyclops thing ever which is he's very rude to Jean before he sees what she looks like and then as soon as he sees what she looks like he's like oh you're great like it is like the like he's so mean to her in the hallway like
2: well she's and mean then... to him She he can't see her he bumps into her and she's like watch where you're going it's like yeah, there's
0: something evil inside her. I mean, well, come on, what is his excuse? I mean, I just, you know, the thing about the thing about his storyline, right? It's like, okay, so like, you know, we've been watching a lot of One Tree Hill lately. I talked about it recently. It <laughs> just wasn't the case and we watched it before this and during this cuz we took a break. <laughs> and it's like all I could... like, I re- I'm like, wait a minute. That high school scene did not take place in that show. But you know what? It could have.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: You know, we have a lot to talk about about this movie for how terrible it is.
2: I mean, we're mostly mostly not talking about this movie. I'm yeah. still thinking about what, what Game of Thrones actors I want to bring over. Um, I'm just... <laughs> you go. I'm just think about that. While
0: you keep thinking about it, we're going to come back to it. We'll come back to it. Okay, okay, okay. But the rest of the way that I have this, this going, is I, I think before we get to what is genuinely the worst third act ever, I fell asleep during it. We have a bunch of set pieces, which is no way to make a movie. The first set piece we get, Lazi, which you have referred to earlier, is the time where Eric's entire family got fridged again, non-Holocaust version.
2: This happens in the comics, but it's just, I mean, it's obviously a sh- and um Rafe Judkins Wheel of Time I'm Looking at You didn't need to do that buddy didn't need to do it I love everything else about your adaptation so far really didn't like that choice but so it still happens that's the frustrating thing I assume everyone who would listen to this podcast knows about Gail Simone's Women in Refrigerators project Uh, but if you don't please check that out it's just shouldn't happen anymore it shouldn't happen it's boring it's repetitive it's a crap trope it's just oh man i, I, I don't't don't, don't know how else to talk about it
1: and what's worse is is that Eric has the most tragic backstory imaginable anyway you don't have to keep piling on more dead women in order for him to have all this rage or all this need for revenge or anything like that like and the worst part is is that when he's talking to the i think it's when he's talking to the cops when he says no it's later it's when he's talking to the men in the the factory and he says something about like all your wives or think about the person most important to you Your your mother your wife your daughter and that's supposed to like tell us like oh well his mother died and then his wife died and his 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 daughter died but all that did for me was tell me oh the only people who matter to other people are women and they only matter in this way in which they can be sacrificed in order for you know what i mean like what if like a bunch of those dudes in that factory were all like together. Like what if they weren't like, you know
2: Let's what if they didn't have movie. wives?
1: You know? Like I I I just to me it was this really gross way of underscoring the way that women are used as sort of this like these figures to be sacrificed for male character pain in that way.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Although I did like Nina's animal powers. That was yeah. pretty cool. Would I would have, have watched a movie about that.
2: I have Snow White no powers. Like, it's a bit. Uh, she's a little bit like Nature Girl, who's an who's an X Men character. So I like I like li- that.
1: And honestly, the I will say the one saving grace of this storyline, of which there's very very little, is that it does contain the most genuine moment of human emotion in this film. And it's not even the fridging part of it. It's the part when he when Eric is sitting with Nina on her bed, and he's singing her this, this old Jewish song, and when she asks where he learned it, he says, well, I learned it from my mother, and she learned it from her mother, and I'm going to teach it to you, and you're going to teach it to your children, and there's this great, it, it is a genuinely touching moment, knowing about his history, and like, it's sort of this symbol of, con- of Jewish continuity, and like, being able to survive. That was genuinely beautiful, and then they just like, take it all away for a plot point. Nobody else, there is no other scene in this movie that has that level of emotion. And it's just gone.
2: I think, yeah, I think you're right. And Fassbender is is definitely the best actor in this film, which helps. I mean, he's hot. That also helps.
0: Okay, so you might remember the first time that, that Eric gets to have his little, his mutant power rage fit. It's like, oh, okay, that's totally believable that he would kill nobody but the person responsible for that. Okay, well, this time they're all going to—nope, Apocalypse came in and killed him for him. Way to deflate an already terrible scene. At least give the dude some catharsis. I'm not endorsing this.
2: Well, doesn't he kill all the, doesn't he kill all the cops as well?
0: I mean, yeah, but, like, the whole point—I mean, they're kind of like—I mean, they're not innocent bystanders, but that's kind of beside the point. I mean, it's like the John Wick. Any of the John, it's like okay. So it's like John Wick finally finds the guy who kills his dog, and then Lawrence Fishburne comes back from the Matrix and kills him instead. And he's just like, "Dude, dude, are you joking? I did a whole movie. I killed many, many people for thi- You came in and no, that's not cool. Anyway, what is cool." is The Return of Ralph Boner. By the way, (laughs) dear Disney, a little bit more free advice for you. Don't do that ever again. You suck. This time, not only does he get his music video, this time to the tune of the, the classic Dave Stewart, Annie Lennox song, Sweet dreams. The song that gave me nightmares. Not just the song. It wasn't just the song. It was Annie Lennox and that orange hair from the video that I saw when I was way too young. We see this, but this time he doesn't just go away. He gets to be a part of the main movie. That was okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, It's just so much not as good as, his, as the previous scene that he does, though. Um, I, I've now completely blanked a lot song they use in days of future parts for him
1: time in a bottle
2: I, time in a bottle yeah it's it's set up it's just g- gags and gimmicks i actually think he's one of the better actors in this film i think he his performance is actually pretty decent in the other scenes in the later scenes uh, again he gets more to say than the entirety of all four horsemen combined but uh, well not all four actually to be fair eric gets lot to say but it's so tacked on you're you're absolutely right about this like there's these scenes that just feel like they are not coherent, they're not part of the plot. I mean, they only get worse, frankly, from here, uh, but they just it's just like a and now we have to have a quick silver seat now we have to have this one.
1: I guess I've never asked you this before because we've never had conversations about what was going on with Fox and Marvel at this point in in twenty sixteen. When they, well, I mean, I guess before that, when they wrote and then directed and made this movie. But how do you feel about what obviously was a custody agreement between Marvel and Fox over the Maximoff twins? Like, clearly, Marvel got Wanda and Fox got Petrov. Petrov. What do you think? Petrov.
2: Um, so, so they both, so effectively, what happened was. Wanda and Pietro were um Avengers characters more than they were X-Men characters. I mean, they were originally part of Magneto's evil brotherhood, even though they didn't know Magneto was their father at the time. And it was a mess. So they're, the way Marvel and uh did all of these deals is they split the characters depending on where they originated and where you saw them most. So that's why you get a certain characters can be in Spider-Man films with Sony and, and not for, for the others. I mean, there was then further knock on from the comics because basically Marvel Comics threw a fit that they were printing X-Men comics. And so they retconned both Maximoffs to not be mutants anymore and not be, um, not be Magneto's kids anymore either. And they're sort of still reckoning with that. I think that Wanda's Fine, I don't really have a problem with her not really being an X Men character. I think Quicksilver is more fun in the X Men movies uh, than he is in his tap and tape and he's showing <laughs> in Age of Ultron, and that's about it. I don't know. Neither of them are particularly characters I care that much about, but but Quicksilver is in a lot more X Men X Men comics. He's in a lot of X Factor investigations, so fair enough.
1: I guess for me, it was just difficult because I've been a huge Scarlet Witch fan for a really long time. And to see them apart from each other, it was a little difficult for me because I love the comics when they're together and when they're, you know, doing their sibling thing and where it's really obvious that Wanda is the brains of the two. And, you know, I enjoy all of that. and. You know, they didn't even, I, they didn't need another character in this movie. They didn't need a lot of things in this movie. <laughs> yes. But it does really bother me that in Days of Future Past, they completely broke that sibling dynamic by having them not be twins. Because we do see her very briefly in Days of Future Past, but she's oh, like a right. small child. No, and that's, that just that's like...
2: Polaris. That's, that's Lorna, I think, in Days of Future Past. I think that's supposed to be Lorna, Lorna Dane, not, not, um, not Wanda. I think it's supposed to be Polaris
1: in the Maximoff house?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll
1: have to look into that. But yeah, like like by completely breaking like that like twin thing for me. It was like just have her be a character, but she doesn't have to be on screen. Like it just doesn't it really bothers me the way that I don't like it when production things in, affect movies. It really bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've established that on this show.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a, as a big X Men fan, um, the fact that uh, she said no more mutants and wiped out 90, uh, 90 plus percent of the world's mutant population in one go, men, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Wanda Maximoff as a character. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think Elizabeth Olsen's doing a great job of, of her own, um, and I think she fits well in the in the Avengers universe. She doesn't
0: One more set piece before we get to what I like to call the worst third act ever in this franchise. There are lots of contenders. This is the obligatory Wolverine cameo. Why is it obligatory? Because they said, I guess. Tessa described this very well as the following.
1: This entire sequence of events where they go back to Alkaline Lake is literally a DLC of a video game that they forgot to make. Like, they just forgot to make the video game. They hope to distract their investors by putting in a DLC that had some story and had a popular character in it. The end.
2: Uh, yeah, it's... There's hat. no
1: point for this, no, it, except it, it, for it, Wolverine.
2: No, it, it doesn't affect anything. It makes no difference to anyone. You cut the whole thing out, make the movie shorter, or you can do the mall scene, which is another set piece that sort of doesn't really happen, where they come out of uh, Return of the Jedi and make some what we can charitably describe as jokes about uh, the third one of the series always being rubbish. Uh, And there's a version of that which is longer and better and features safety dance that I've seen on the internet. And I'm like, just give me that. Give me the, give me actually more time with these characters that you're trying to establish rather than totally unnecessary Wolverine scene. If you want to do a totally unnecessary Wolverine scene, Go back to Matthew Vaughan and do the one in first class where he just swears at them and then they leave.
1: And like, then they leave him alone. <laughs> quite- yeah. I it it is so that's that the whole thing is ridiculous. The best part of it is what we what we kind of laughed about in the cold open, which is where where Stryker asked them what's going on and Quicksilver, played wonderfully by Evan Peters, like you said, is like, we don't know, bro, which is like, it should be a GIF. I just want to use that GIF for everything. But like, we get a bit of Weapon X here. That's the only thing I can think of. The the original Weapon X comic, where he's just sort of wandering around Alkaline Lake, not really understanding what's going on. It's very serial killer-esque. But it it seems very unnecessary. Like you said, we could have spent more time with Apocalypse, maybe, the main villain of the the whole thing.
0: He's not that interesting. Whatever.
1: I did also really enjoy, although it made me very uncomfortable at the same time, the scene with Jean Grey (laughs) and Wolverine, mainly because of how uncomfortable it was making Cyclops in the background. Because I was just like, yeah, dude, she will never be into you. (laughs) Like, that is literally how I felt about that scene. (laughs)
0: What what she said at the time was, oh, Scott, even before your relationship started, you were already losing her.
2: <laughs>
0: and that's good jokes, Tessa. Shame I had, me, the person who can't remember anything has to remember all your best jokes. Do you realize the burden this puts on me?
1: It was too long of a movie. I can't remember all my best jokes. But yeah, they were clearly trying to say something about how He's always had a soft spot for her, but isn't she supposed to be in high school? Like yeah. what? Like it it is kind of a weird moment. Maybe yeah. it was supposed to tell us something about Jean Grey and not him. I don't know.
2: Yeah, maybe we could just infer something about Simon K- uh, sorry, about Brian Singer and and uh, underage people. Maybe we could do that. there you are. We
0: almost got through a whole app without saying that. Now
1: this is a joke that you made that I need to remind you of. You said we could have not... So we were both talking about all the things they could have done instead of having the sequence. You said the other thing they could have done was spend this time apologizing for Brian Singer's behavior, which would have been more time than they actually did in real life.
0: I did say that. So, okay. Listen. We've, we referred to the fact that this movie is, is uh, too long or pretty long and and it wastes a lot of things. So, I just got to tell you if you're if you're thinking about watching this movie still for some reason, there is a good time to take a nap. It's during the third act cuz you don't miss anything. It's terrible. I hated it. That's all I have to say. You guys, what do you want to say about it? CGI go woo.
2: <laughs> Why does Magneto get given a helmet? It, 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 it fashion. It, it, <laughs> I mean, Apocalypse uh, launches all the nuclear weapons uh, into, uh, into space, right? Um, so I will read my note on that act, uh, what happened there, and this is my response to it. There's still an hour and fifteen left. Like, there's still, <laughs> he launched all the nuclear weapons into space, but there was still an hour and a quarter left of the film. What? How? Why? What's the light? What's the, he quotes, he uses a line in this film, which is, you can shoot hours from the Tower of Babylon, but you can never strike God. What?
1: <laughs> There's so much Apocalypse says in this movie that does not make sense. Like it sounds really cool until you actually stop to think about what it means. Like I noticed that a lot in this mo- this particular rewatch.
2: Yeah the the CGI is not good in that, but it's also not good in like the the Quicksilver scene. I think either. I think compared to, I think like. The one thing I will give, uh, particularly Days of Future Past, is I think the opening action scene with Portals and with Blink is really good. And I think it's the same, the opening action scene from X2 with Nightcrawler and the White House is phenomenal. Like, these guys have done good action scenes. All of this stuff is weightless and it's boring and no one cares.
1: Psylocke has grip strength?
2: They, They have an opportunity for her to say, the focus uh, totality of her psychic mic and she doesn't do it so she's
1: i i don't have anything to say like i i completely agree with you none of this felt real either because we know that storm and magneto are gonna survive because they're x-men right and so like maybe angel will survive or not which i guess he doesn't but like it's hard to feel any of these deaths, especially because Apocalypse doesn't care, which is supposed to tell us that he's evil, but it do- it just feels like nothing. Like, it just doesn't, none of this feels real. I also love that apparently Stryker had a plane and outfits in their sizes at Alkaline Lake.
0: <laughs> Well, if you don't do that, the movie can't happen. If you don't
1: do that, the movie can't happen. I don't know. I So to go back to something we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, when we talked about Cable, who honestly, if you're going to do Apocalypse, you kind of have to have Cable. Like In my mind, those two go together. But Apocalypse is a good villain in the comics. Yeah. He is not a good villain in a movie. I've said this a lot about the X-Men. That there are certain elements of the X-Men that work better in like a mini series, like the animated series. X-Men Evolution did a better job with Apocalypse than this, this film does. And part of that's because Apocalypse is like a slow acting villain. He is like the person pulling the strings. He's the one manipulating history to go the way that he wants it to go. And I just, I remember when I was reading these comics for the first time, the reveal that Cable is actually... Nathan Summers who had gone missing in previous in previous comics like the whole thing with him was so devastating like it was just like this unbelievable emotional moment and I don't get any of that from here like the whole point of apocalypse is that he pulls the strings and then when you think that you've got him like suddenly like he's done something that like completely messes you up and I just didn't get any kind of impact from this character at all he just seemed like an overpowered dude who just sort of uses CGI powers a lot, and they're conveniently whatever he needs to overpower the heroes.
2: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with those points. I, I think consistent with Last Stand as well. They're just so impatient. Like the and the, and the stakes aren't there. The 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 first proper apocalypse story in X Factor involves effectively involves. Uh, Angel, who was part of the original five X-Men and was part of the original X-Factor team, who is captured by the Morlocks, has his wings cut off, and is driven to basically attempt suicide. And he is then found stroke rescued by Apocalypse and turned into Archangel. And like I've just described an arc of really interesting stuff that happens with Angel. It kind of helps that you care and know about Angel first, but you could have probably done a little bit of that. You could make it about a character that we care about going to the other side. That's what makes Apocalypse work. And in fact, they repeat that a number of times later in the comics where you get like Wolverine becoming his death or you get Gambit becoming his death. And this is a character we care about, this character we know, and therefore them changing sides or or being converted hits us and has an impact. None of these characters do we know, and therefore we don't care that they're bad guys, apart from Eric, who's already a bad guy. So there's no change. Like It's it's, just, uh, it's a consistent story where they just fundamentally miss the points of the way these stories were told. And in their attempt to adapt and rush, they lose all the characterization and all the beats. Uh, and in this one, they don't even have the action to make up.
1: I read an interview with Brian Singer once where he said that the focus of this film was apocalypse, and I just I can't believe he said that with a straight face like this film is not about apocalypse, it's barely about anything because they were trying to do all of these apocalypse adjacent storylines all at the same time with zero zero development and zero room to breathe.
2: yeah, this film is about Charles and Eric again again you know. Just make out- you guys
0: have said a little bit about the writing and how poor it is. And so, and, and, and I think about what could possibly motivate this kind of writing. And I'm reminded of a line from Lossie's, as I recall, favorite Christmas movie, Love Actually. Kids, don't buy drugs, become famous, and they'll buy the drugs for you, which I think is what's happening here.
2: You know, Bill Nye would be great in an X-Men movie. I just see, right? And <laughs> I
0: mean, like, clearly he works for Disney. He's done it before. I mean, give him a chance to improve on whatever that was. Now, it is an X-Men movie, so whether you want to or not, there's going to be a post credit scene. Like, you just thought you were going to get out and be done. Tessa tried to pretend there wasn't one. She walked away. I called her back, and I said, no, you're going to sit through this, and you're going to like it. And, of course, we get a tease of Weapon X, which is like, you know, don't threaten us with a good time, which they actually delivered on. It's not
2: Weapon X. It's Sinister. Tessa did make a point about this uh, earlier, where the Wolverine bit, where they hark back to the comic, they use a really good image that is straight out of the comics of Wolverine with his helmet on as, like, Weapon X. That's really cool stuff. But, yeah, the the post-credit tease is Mr. Sinister.
0: Right. For somebody who doesn't know that, though, it's like, oh, look, I, you know, neat. They're teasing the next movie. Obviously, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, they didn't. I <laughs> mean, I could have
0: lived in ignorance and been happy.
1: <laughs> well, they kind I mean, they kind of follow through because we see them putting wolverine's dna into a case that's to the essex corp which we know is mr sinister so it's kind of teasing laura and mr sinister but obviously mr sinister never gets followed through that's another thing mr sinister is apocalypse as well like we find out in one of the things i'm going to talk about later that he's actually like he was driven to be mr sinister by apocalypse so it's whatever (laughs)
0: like I guess it's. I guess it's, I I guess it's it better. I
1: guess it's better than the Marvel fans now who are like everything is Mephisto. But yeah, <laughs> like.
0: Wait, is
2: this is is Apocalypse Mephisto? Am I Mephisto? <laughs> no, no one uh. is Mephisto. Okay, I've 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 not been on your podcast when this has been brought up. Mephisto is a terrible villain, and they're not going to do him. He's just the devil. The devil is a boring villain in 2021. We're not going to get Mephisto.
0: Besides DC's, D- Netflix and DC's take on, I guess, Vertigo, right? Yeah. Their take on uh, Lucifer is probably the the one, if there's a one, right? In 2021?
2: Sexy Lucifer. You want Sexy Lu- Lucifer? Yeah, fine. Sexy
1: Lucifer. Exactly. I actually have always thought Mr. Sinister was a much better villain than Mephisto, so I don't know why they haven't done anything with him, but...
2: Because they hate
0: good things. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let me. Let me... Let me move this along. I have what we nominally usually call astonishing facts, but I will like I will retitle this segment the roast of X Men Apocalypse. So the first thing is that um, this movie was originally going to be called X Men Age of Apocalypse. Unfortunately, there were movies called Avengers Age of Ultron, Transformers Age of Extinction. And Age of Adeline, which is Blake Lively and Harrison Ford. Blake
2: Lively would be a good X-Men.
0: I mean, if Reynolds can cross over, bring her along. But so, here's the thing. I guess they were right, because somehow all three of these movies, including the Transformers one, which I haven't seen, are probably better than this one. Even, even, even the movie with Blake Lively and Harrison Ford, which is like this weird moving, moving through time, like ageless, romantic tragedy movie is a better X-Men movie than X-Men Apocalypse. Somehow. I don't know how. That's not, I'm not in charge of making those decisions. I just know it's true. Next up, as we know, Oscar Isaac allegedly plays Apocalypse in this movie. (laughs) You may not know this, but Tom Hardy and Idris Elba were also in the running for the privilege of being completely unrecognizable in this movie. I didn't know that. Okay.
2: <laughs> there are definite points in this film where um, it is uh, Oscar Isaac, and you know it, because he's really small. He's very, very weak. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, Apocalypse is not very small, not very weak. Right. And It's funny. <laughs> it's, it's
0: great. Going back to Gene Gray, of course, we talked about Sansa Stark Jonas herself. Other other folks in the running to play the most terrible version of this character since I don't know the last one. Elle Fanning, Chloe Grace Moretz, Haley Steinfeld, Sersha Ronan, Daisy Ridley, Lily Collins, and Harley Quinn herself, Margot Robbie. Wow yeah I want
2: all of those people in a different movie, not written by Simon Kimberg
0: Apocalypse is never called Apocalypse in the film, which if that's like a metaphor for how terrible this movie is, it's a pretty good one <sighs>
2: <laughs> oh, I hadn't even jesus yeah uh, so, so like so... the best thing about Apocalypse in the animated series and in his early. Comics appearances is his monologuing and his I am Apocalypse, (laughs) and we don't even get that.
1: We don't even get that. You know who else we forgot to talk about in this that I just remembered was in this movie despite having seen this movie like a couple of hours ago? Rose Byrne as Moira McTaggart. Cheers.
2: she's back, baby.
0: Oh, Rose Byrne.
2: And they they reference they reference her um, kid who's Proteus as well. I like Rose Byrne in this film. She gets more lines than Storm and Psylocke and uh, Angel, um, and I quite like her. She's better than the Moira McTaggart we get for two seconds in the last stand.
0: <laughs> I I like Rose Byrne, but not in this movie. So Singer, Kinberg, and friends talked about how. You know, they were originally going to lean into the apocalypse as space god thing. But, you know, they really wanted to make that turn more into religion. I guess this is just me talking, but I (laughs) guess that makes him more of a religious god?
2: He's the first one. What are they
0: talking about?
2: What? There's no what? uh,
0: What? (laughs) Okay, save your indignation. (laughs) (laughs) for I don't know what I mean you might as well use it all now Olivia Munn turned down the role of Vanessa in Deadpool for this for this she didn't want to be the girlfriend and I get that and I respect that but you made this choice Mm -hmm. could you this is just a terrible choice
1: have you seen the training video of her
0: yes
2: yes she
0: really she cared could have about done me. a great oh, job. Okay, okay, I have something for this. So it was, it was, I believe it was McAvoy, I believe, who said, "So what you should do is like definitely do sword training. Like it's gonna be CGI, but it'll look cool, and the special effects people will like you."
2: Well, so she has a sword and a, a CGI uh, katana stroke turns into a whip randomly for some reason, no mm-hmm. idea why. I So, I know a couple of people for whom Psylocke was a really important character, because in terms of age uh, and female visibility in comics, mm. in the 90s particularly, there was no one as cool. Now, there were problematic parts of her character in that, that she was inhabited by a British woman, uh, which you can make your own metaphors for of those sections about if you like, but it was in terms of visibility. She was a really cool character. She led teams, uh, and she was awesome. I can see why Olivia Munn would want to play Silo. Oh, I can yeah. totally see that. And and those training videos are fantastic. She threw herself into it, and she is just given nothing. She is given she is not given a character. She's not given lines. Basically, would be help. She gets more to do than Angel she gets more to do than Storm, apart from Storm getting to be the one who turns first.
0: So one one final piece of free advice. People who do franchise movies or series well, cast Olivia Munn, let her be sassy. Okay? I did not read X-Men growing up, but as a PhD coping mechanism, (laughs) I did read a lot. Like, I read the entire Terrigen... Death of X Men series, right? Right. And and then on, kind of on the on then for a while. So that was my first. I mean, this movie was my first interaction with Psylocke, but what I just described to you is my first interaction with her as a comic book character, and obviously, even that is much better. Like she's cool.
2: Yeah. Right. She's a great character. I'm I'm very sorry for you that you've read literally the worst X Men comics ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs>
0: it is what it is.
2: But um, it's, just, it's all, well, it's all good words. from maybe here on out, right? Uh, pick up Hoxbox and start from there. That's what all thinking.
0: right. Let's talk about some uncanny stats. Spoiler alert, this isn't going to go well. For comparison's sake, let's talk about Days of Future Past, which was budgeted at $200 million. In the one smart thing that the studio did, they gave this movie less of a budget, around one hundred seventy-eight. This movie opened on Memorial Day weekend to a domestic box office of 65.7 million down from 90 million from Days of Future Past, which just proves that X-Men Apocalypse is Days of Franchise Past. As in, this franchise is over. Total box office. I know what you're thinking. It doesn't matter if it has a long tail, if it has good international box office, we can really make some money off of this. They did not, making $544 million, which is still much more than the budget, but compared to Days of Future Past, $746 million. It's kind of a bummer.
2: I love the fact that we're now at a point where half a billion dollars. Isn't cool. I know,
0: right? It's like, if you didn't quadruple your ridiculous size budget, what are you doing, you bum? Speaking of bums, not only was this a holiday weekend, here's the competition. This is a real everyone-got-out-of-the-way situation. Number two, Disney, Alice Through the Looking Glass, a sequel to a movie that wasn't good. Three, The Angry Birds Movie. Four, Captain America Civil War Still came out earlier that year. Yeah, right? That came out after Dead- so Deadpool came out in February. This uh, Civil War came out in March.
2: maybe. Question mark. What, what holiday weekend was this? Was this?
0: This was Memorial Day weekend. So this was end of May.
2: Okay, fine. I should. Uh, sorry. I End of May. When your, when your memorial day.
0: Sorry. Apologies. So <laughs> I mean, this is typically the beginning of the summer box office right, season. Here that. is that the holiday weekend that kicks it off, right? Number five, Neighbors Two. Now, fun fact about Neighbors Two: the first Neighbors was in the top five when Days of Future Past was released. So they're really thinking about. No, I can't even finish that. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> This is a bad movie. Tessa, uh, both of you, because you, you both can tell me and and everybody listening what to read in our all new, all different. By the way, I thought it was, I did astonishing, uncanny, and all new, all different. I mean, come on. For somebody who doesn't know anything about the comic books, that was a bad. Can I give you another
2: uncanny stat? Oh, yes, please. Do so. Simon Kinberg was paid $8 million for writing this script. <laughs> that is approximately 8
0: million dollars more than he deserved simon actually Kimberg, it's 9 million dollars more than he deserved he should be paying us
2: simon for Kimberg this movie is the literal dictionary definition of if you are white and male you can be you can fail as many times as you like in hollywood and you will still get work he wrote the last stand it was terrible he wrote this it was terrible. What was his reward for writing this terrible movie? He wrote and directed Dark Phoenix.
0: Are you ready? I'm going to do my best studio executive impression. All right. So he failed the first time. He failed the second time. The third time, not the charm. He failed at that one. Okay, so the guy knows how to fail. That must mean if we let him do one more, it's going to work.
2: He's very bad. He's a he very is. bad writer. He's not good. It is upsetting <laughs> to me as a human that this person got paid $8 million for it.
0: Well, let's just turn it over to Favreau and Filoni. I know Filoni does Star Wars, but really, he could probably do this better than Kinberg. All new, all different. What are we reading instead? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm really curious to hear what Lazi has to say, what his favorite apocalypse-centric comic is. Mine, though, is The Future Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which is actually Mr. Sinister-centric. We've been talking about Mr. Sinister a couple of times, but it is also apocalypse-centric because it involves them going back in time to try to prevent the creation of Mr. Sinister by apocalypse. And there's also sort of this plot where Mr. Sinister is trying to turn on Apocalypse. And it's just a really, it has a lot to do with Cable. So there's there's some really, it's a really cool little miniseries from 1996. And it involves Cyclops and Phoenix. I would recommend that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good shout. Um, I would also recommend X Factor from about number 20 onwards, which is effectively the introduction. I mean, to be honest, you could probably start from 10-ish which is where Warren starts losing his wings or loses his wings. Uh, but the the um, Fall of the Mutants stuff, the Apocalypse is in there is great. That's Louise Simonson and uh, Walt Simonson um, writing and drawing. The Apocalypse stuff in the current uh, era uh, has been really, really good. So after House of Effects Powers of Ten, uh, he's a big feature in Excalibur. Uh, and, uh, that is sort of creating this sort of concept of mutant magic and circuits that, uh, connect mutants together. And then the, uh, the sort of big cross franchise event, Ten of Swords, uh, that followed on from that is also really, really good. So oldie but goodie, X Factor, early days X Factor, and then, um, modern stuff is really good as well. There's, there's, I would also echo the, um, the, both the original adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and then um, uh, the future, all the further adventure ones is, is also great. All right.
0: I think I've gotten everything out of my system. I wrote the notes, so like I got to say all my things. Any, any, anybody else want to take some parting shots? Simon Kinberg is a hack. All right. That's it for this episode of 13 Days of X-Men, but we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the first post-apocalypse movie in the X-Men franchise, Logan, with friend of the pod, Nigel. Watch along with us. Tweet at us. Email us. We're really all moving downhill from there. Here. We're we're definitely going downhill from here. Let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Lassie, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter
2: at Mean Englishman.
0: Which is, which is still a fun joke. I, 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 I like that. I, it's good times.
2: I've stopped explaining it, which makes it funny. Now, I like
0: apparently. it. I can dig it. <laughs> you can find Tessa on Twitter at suela Tessa, and you can find me on Twitter at same underscore Morris 9. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes. It can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays and get that monkey off your back, bub.